Good morning. All right. I want to ask you to be honest this morning as I share a story, an incident that happened to me recently. I was pulling on to Interstate 80. I don't remember what exit, but I was pulling on our entrance, but I was pulling on to Interstate 80. And as I pull on, I make, you know, we do what you do, right? You merge into the flow of traffic. And so I'm in the flow of traffic, and everybody kind of starts slowing down all of a sudden. And so I'm looking around, and I look in my rearview mirror, and in my rearview mirror is a vehicle. I think it's a Ford Explorer, and it's black and white. It looks to be. And I realize why everybody is slowing down. And so I follow because I believe that there is a, an officer back there in a car. And I believe him to be looking for me. I mean, I just make it personal, right? Because I'm going fast like everybody else. So all of a sudden, he pulls somebody over into the center, and his lights come on, and he pulls some over. Now, do you know what happens in that moment to everybody else? They what? They speed up. They speed up. Because now we believe that we're safe. Now we believe that that officer is tied up with his task, and he no longer is a threat to my, my pocketbook. You see, our actions, our behavior reveals what we believe to be true about someone else. Our thoughts, our words, our actions reveal what we believe to be true about someone. In that moment, it was directed at a highway patrol. When I was in Africa this last summer, one of my grandkids was, were born, she was born, and I never had a chance to introduce her to you, so I'm down here on the floor. Is she going to cry at this moment? Can I, can I borrow Nora? This is Nora. That Nora was, Nora was not growing, um, and we're not exactly sure why. We think maybe she just wasn't getting nutrients, and so the doctor said, check everybody out, that we needed to get her out and start taking care of her, and so... This is the first grandchild that I wasn't present when they were born, so she's going to need therapy when she gets older because her papa was not, was not there. But I wanted to introduce you to Nora, my granddaughter, and I wanted you to think about this, this idea that our actions reveal what we believe to be true about something. Now, she's learning. She's checking you all out. I usually can get a smirk out of her. She's a eyebrow smiler and a smirker, and I can sometimes, but there are some very clear behaviors, some very clear actions that she portrays or expresses that reveals she believes this amazing young lady back here who's going to stand up for me. Yes, you are, because I'm going to, because I'm going to give you Nora back, and so, you know, take a wild guess, who is this lady standing up? It's her mommy, right? And there are many moments in this little girl's daily life that her actions reveal she believes this woman here to be her source of food. That's right, food. And when that moment happens, nobody else matters. Even poor dad sitting there looking, he's still processing this, right? We don't matter. You don't matter. And her actions, she has... She, from birth, she had a set of actions, a set of behavior that reveals very clearly she believes that woman to be the answer to her needs. We together on that? You see, how we behave, and it starts with how we think. How we think 
What we say and, and what we do reveals what we believe to be true about someone. As we walk through the Gospel of Luke, and I want to ask you to join me in chapter 3 this morning, that's where we find ourselves, Luke wants us to know with certainty who Jesus really is. And as we, we've just been in the first couple of chapters and we move into chapter 3, this, I believe, a, a very intentional turn in his, in his record that he's writing for us takes place. He begins to lay the groundwork now for us to examine what we truly believe about Jesus. It was true for Theophilus, the, the person that Luke, the Gospel of Luke was written to directly. It is true of the people of that first century. And I propose that it's true of you and I today. Our actions, our behaviors reveal what we truly believe about someone. So I can tell you that I believe Jesus is blank, and this is who he is to me. But if you want to know the truth, then you need to watch my behavior. You need to listen to my words. And so Luke is on a mission. He said in chapter 1, verse 4, he said, I want you to know with certainty. I want you to have a, a confidence in the facts of who Jesus really is, why he came, what he accomplished, where he is now. And so he's going to lay out this record, and when we come to chapter 3, we begin to see him really lay out, and that's why I say it's a turn. It's like his purpose begins to be revealed here as he begins to lay the groundwork. He's already been laying the groundwork, but he seems to have an intentional agenda to make sure we know exactly who Jesus is. Because look, here's, here's another premise that we may not have talked about much. Luke is convinced that if someone knows the truth about Jesus Christ, it can transform their lives, that it can change your life, coming to an understanding of who Jesus is and responding to that. I love how A.W. Tozer said it. This is one of those old preachers that's been in heaven for a long time, and you've probably heard this quote before, but I love this. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Dwell there for a second. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, Tozer had come to believe, and I agree with him, that our actions reveal what we truly believe about Jesus. So what I believe about Jesus, what I believe him to be, or the picture that comes into my mind when I think about him is the most important thing about me. What we believe about someone is revealed in our behavior, in our actions. And so here's the question, and it's, it's addressed in the Gospels. John will, will talk about, record it, and it's even in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. Jesus asks his disciples, who do you believe me to be? Who do you think I am? He says, who do you say that I am? And so that's my question for me and for us this morning. What or who do we believe Jesus to be. Now we're in church, aren't we? And so right away, the church answer comes, come on, we're, that's true. You know, when you came in this morning and people are asking you questions, there, there's, there's something about gathering together that we'd like, I got to be churchy now. I got to be, you know, how you doing? How you doing, Matt? Good. good. Uh, me too. That's great. Yeah. Blessed. Blessed. Amen. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we didn't practice this. He knows. I know. We know, Right? 
That we, you know, and if you're in a class in Sunday school, whatever, there's the, the right answer, you know, the church answer, and we're saying what we think is the right thing to say. Let's, let's just cut to the chase. God doesn't care about that. Luke doesn't care about that. Tozer didn't care about that. We shouldn't care about that. What God cares about is what do I believe to be true about Jesus Christ? And then everything else will follow. My actions, my, my words, my thoughts. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Would you join me in chapter three? We're gonna walk through. One of the, one of the fun things about Luke is um, he, he, what's the word? He's not verbose because every word matters, but he, he has a lot to say. How about that? And whenever, whoever ended up putting the chapters and the verses, I don't know why in Luke, they, I mean, we got some chapters that are like 80 verses, I think, right? That are, you know, that's not true most of the rest of the Bible, Psalm 139, 119, right? Psalm 119. But he's got a lot to say, so we're going to peruse through some of this, and I, and I want to make sure that you're tracking with me as we walk through this. In verses 1 through 6, we begin the preparation now for Jesus to be revealed, and we, we already saw that that's been handed to John the Baptist, right? His miraculous birth of John the Baptist to, to a couple that shouldn't have been able to have kids, and, and his father was told he is going to prepare the way, and it says in verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch in Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch, it's a leader, like a governor, in the region of Iturea, and what's that place? It's, you, go, you have them removed when you go to the doctor. Trachonitis, okay, tonsillitis, that's what I was thinking of. Trachon that place and that place, or that person, Lysanias, was tetrarch of Abilene, a place in Idaho, I believe. <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, this is so cool, all those details. Others are like, what in the world? Why do we care? This is a reflection. Remember where we started. Luke says, I investigated this very carefully, and this is significant. I investigated very carefully. I interviewed eyewitnesses because I wanted to give you an accurate record of what happened so that you could have confidence in what you believe to be true about Jesus Christ. Now, there's no way to remove faith. I've not met Jesus face to face. But I have an accurate, reliable witness, a record that gives me the truth. And Luke says, I want you to have that because I want you to have confidence in your faith, in what you believe. There's a foundation. See, faith is not just whatever, you know, hey, you know. No, Luke says, I want you to have confidence in what you know to be true. And so I investigated this carefully. And so we see moments through Luke where he does this. These are historical people. Some of these can be, can be affirmed, if you will, or backed up by sources outside of the Bible that these were people that ruled in the Roman Empire at this time in, in Judea. He goes, I want you to have confidence in what you believe to be true about Jesus Christ. And it was in this 15th year of this emperor, this Roman emperor, that God's word comes to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan preaching proclaiming a message. What's his message? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I will baptize anyone who comes to me and wants to be baptized to declare to their world, their, their circles, that they are repenting from 
what they were doing or how they were living before, what they were believing before, and they are now believing this, and they are being prepared for who? Jesus. They would know him at that point as their Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. All of their scriptures, all of the Old Testament pointed them to this promise that God would come and take on human form and live among them and bring the truth to them. And so he says, John, it's time. The Spirit comes to John, it's time. And he begins to preach. Notice that he preaches, or it's a reference, Luke makes a reference to this fulfillment This idea that a man would be asked to proclaim and prepare the way is a fulfillment from Isaiah. It is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Who is that describing? John, John the Baptist. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be made low. It speaks of obstacles being removed so that there is a pathway to the truth. The crooked will become straight. The rough ways will become smooth. And everyone will see the salvation of God. Who is the salvation of God? That's Jesus, the promised Messiah. And so John begins to prepare the way for Jesus. He gets the call and he begins to preach. In verse 7 through 20, we are given his message. What exactly is he proclaiming? And he begins to reveal in his message exactly who he is to set the table for who Jesus is. And if you know this passage, you remember that's where he says, you know, well, there's one coming. He uses that kind of language. There's one coming. I'm doing this. In fact, he says specifically, he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming who is more powerful than I am, and I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, with fire, with cleansing, with the transformation of life. You come to me, here's what I can do. I can facilitate you testifying to everybody around you that you're ready for this, you're preparing for this, you're repenting from what you were doing and living before, and that you're ready to receive the Messiah. You're ready to receive this promise that God has made to us. You're ready to receive the one who will baptize you in fire and the Holy Spirit. So you come to me, I'll be at the Jordan. And you can read it there. Different people come, and and he has conversations with them. But what's consistent is he baptizes them in the Jordan River, speaking of cleansing. The old is gone, and now the new has come. And the Word of God says this was in preparation for Jesus' ministry. When Jesus himself, God in human form, born of Mary, living among us, would begin to proclaim the message of the gospel. This is an exciting moment. I know it's a long time ago, but this is an exciting moment. This triggers things to begin to happen. And so John begins his message, his ministry of repentance. And in so doing, he begins to reveal who Jesus is and why Jesus has come. John says, I'm here to baptize you in this water. Jesus is coming to baptize you in the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I can't believe if I can contemporize it. And if I'm John, I can't believe that he, he allows me to do this that I get to be the one to eat you know, grasshoppers and, and wear rough clothes. No, I get to be the one that gets to prepare the way, what we've been waiting for. It, that section, verse 20, closes back with, in Luke's record, Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him, by who? By John, because even Herod heard about John's message. Remember, it's a, re, it's a baptism of repentance, and Herod was doing some pretty messed up things. 
And in John's preaching and his sharing of the message, Herod took it personally, thankfully, but he didn't like it. And so he had some issues with John. John spoke specifically to Herod's life and the choices he was making, rebuking him in his sin. And Herod responds by locking him up in prison. That's where we, we leave that section, verse 20. But then in verse 21, Luke continues his record of what's happening in these days. Jesus, this is just an exciting moment. This is, this is a powerful moment in Luke's record in helping us to know who Jesus is and what we believe to be true about him. Jesus is identified in a very special way. If you look at verse 21, when all the people were baptized, so this crowd is there at the Jordan, John is baptizing people every day, they're coming out, words getting around, Herod's hearing about his message, at some point John's going to get locked up, he's not locked up yet, but people are coming, they're being baptized, and then it says, Jesus also was baptized. Now hold on, this is a baptism of repentance. My Bible tells me that Jesus didn't have anything to repent from. It's kind of strange, huh? Is that a little confusing? Yeah? Well, remember, John was a little confused too. John knew who Jesus was, and he says, wait, 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 wait. Why? No, you should baptize me. And so he was a little confused of what was happening in this moment. Here's what, and Jesus' response to him was, just let this happen, John. There's an there's a, there's a intentional moment that's about to happen. And Luke tells us about that moment. As Jesus was praying, he was being baptized. Jesus also was, was baptized. And as he, I believe Jesus, sorry, Jesus was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him, on Jesus, in the physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And here's what the voice from heaven said. You are my beloved son with whom I am pleased or whom I take delight, meaning I am pleased with you. In that moment, in that setting, as Jesus was being baptized, the Father speaks and he says, this is my beloved Son, and I take delight in him. I take delight in who he is. I take delight in what he's doing. He's there on earth in human form, being willing to be born as he was, and he's grown up, and he's been in subjection to his parents, parents, the people that he created, and he's in subjection to them as, as their son, and he's grown into a man, and now he is going to proclaim the message of the gospel, and eventually, about three years later, he's gonna allow himself to be led out to that tool of execution, what we call the cross, and he's gonna die and give his life, take the place of every sinner. The father says, this is my son, and I'm, 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 I delight in what he's doing. So we begin to see Jesus is more than just a carpenter's son from Nazareth. In verses 23 to 38, Jesus, we're told in verse 23 that he begins his ministry. He begins his ministry. Jesus was about 30 years old. Again, some of you love details, others like, you know, and, and I'm kind of in between. I love the details, but I do find myself thinking, why does that matter? You know, why do you, Luke, Luke wants me to know. He wants us to know when this is taking place in Jesus' life. He's 30 years old, and he was thought, do you see what it says in your Bible? If you have a Bible, he was thought to be the son of Joseph. And then what does he do? Luke gives us the genealogy, right? From Jesus all the way back to who? To Adam. Now, I think in part, 
what the Holy Spirit is providing for us here and, and through Luke is not to beat ourselves up because on, on a human level, that, here, here's, here's the lineage. This, this woman had a baby, and Joseph, she was married to Joseph. Well, we all know that you can't have a baby unless... Do I need to spell it out for some of you? Katie's looking like, what, what's next? No. <laughs> you know, we all know that, right? I mean, humanly speaking, we know. So there is a human lineage. Joseph was chosen, and he is in the, this lineage, this family that goes back through Judah. And guess what? As we trace it back, we realize once again that God kept every promise that he made and that every detail that he revealed about the Messiah coming and how he would come is all tracked right through that lineage. But in saying people thought he was the son of Joseph, he's also reminding us that he's not actually the biological son of Joseph, is he? And he's pointing us back to what Matt shared with us at Christmas. He's talking to his wife right now. That's right. They'll join us in a minute. I didn't mean to say his name right when you're having that kind of carry on. She's on, she's on her Bible app on the phone, I'm sure. You were talking about it at Christmas, that the virgin birth that Mary was with child, and she hadn't yet been with her husband, her husband-to-be. So there, there's a reminder of the miraculous of who Jesus is. He's unlike any other baby that's ever been born, any other human that has walked on the face of this earth. And Luke is weaving this all in here. I did find it interesting, that phrase made me think that people begin to form opinions about Jesus right when we first encounter him, don't we? We do. Jesus himself said, you think I've come to bring peace, but the reality is I've come to bring a sword. He said, well, what, what, what do you mean? Well, because people are gonna respond to me. They're gonna react to me in one way or the other. There's no neutral ground with him. You know, we've tried throughout 2,000 years in various cultures, tried, tried to just kind of neutralize Jesus, just kind of make him, you know, we can all just kind of think what we want about him. And, you know, some say he's a good teacher. Some say he was a, was a revolutionary. He really shook things up. He was a rabbi. He was this carpenter guy. He was a misunderstood guy. He was a criminal. He got executed by the Rome. I mean, we, we, we attempt over and over and over. Satan attempts over and over and over I believe, through culture, to try to neutralize Jesus, to make him a non-factor. But Jesus himself says, the reality is, I am going to divide people. You love me or hate me, but you can't ignore me. You can accept me or reject me, but those are the, those are the two. You can take the wide path or the narrow path. I, I have come to, to divide people, to, to challenge people, to make a decision. I've come to reveal the truth that a decision has to be made. Jesus is saying, you can't ignore me. We'll try. People will try. People way more powerful than us will try. Whole cultures will try. But the reality is, yes, I am a man. Jesus says, I am fully human. And here's my lineage. But I'm also fully God. And I came into this earth through a miraculous work of God, the Holy Spirit, to place me in Mary's womb. And Luke is weaving this all together. Do you see what he's doing? He, he, in a, in a, I, I would say in a positive way, he's trying to, in a good way, he's trying to help us realize that we need, to, we need to respond to Jesus. The fact is, we do, right? We do right away. People, oh, he's just the son of, of Joseph. He's just a carpenter. He's, just, he's, 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 he's. 
Let me say it this way. I believe this to be true. It always comes back to Jesus. We can talk politics. We can talk culture. We can talk religion. We can talk about all kinds of things. But the issue is always the same, I believe. It's who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We just celebrated Christmas, and it, it's, such a, a, it's, a, it's like a, still a mystery to me, this idea in our culture of Christmas. You know what the word Christmas is, right? Christ mass. It roots back to the, the Catholicism, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this idea that you gather, whenever it is, but you gather specifically to remember the advent of God, the coming of God to earth, that this baby in Bethlehem was actually God. And we celebrate this crazy, miraculous thing called Christmas, and yet as a culture, we just, we, that word comes off of our mouth. We hear from people, I know recently, happy holidays, you know, we try, there's another example of trying to remove Jesus from the issue. But nonetheless, this, this past season, I had many people, many people, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. We're saying it, we're singing it, it's everywhere, the colors, all, everything, and yet we're oblivious to the, what's the real issue? What's the real question? Who is Christ? Who is the baby Jesus? Who is in that manger? What do I believe to be true of Jesus? And Luke is weaving this all together as we begin this journey with him. And he thought him to be the son of Joseph as he began his ministry. And then chapter 4, verse 1, something I think is, it, it's, I'll just, it's mesmerizing to me. I can't, it's like, and don't, this could be taken wrong. You know, it's one of those things where you can't look away. You know, train wreck, we always say. Um, for me, it's nature things on, you know, videos of, okay, I'm going to say it. Animals eating each other, Okay. I say, ooh, I know, and it is ooh, it is ooh, but it's also mesmerizing. Come on, men, don't leave me alone up here. Anyone else? Okay, good. Four of us are okay. You know, it's like, oh, but ooh, you know, just there's something about it. And this, for me, it's this moment here in in chapter 4, verse 1, we're told that Jesus returns from the Jordan. He's been baptized. He's full of the Holy Spirit, very significant, mark that in your Bible, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by the devil. What? So that's why it's just mesmerizing. I mean, I still find myself wrapping my brain. What in the world is going on? Jesus has just had this moment where the crowd heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son, and I take delight in him. This is your Messiah. This is God come to earth. This, pay attention. This is a significant moment. It's, it's one of the mountaintops. You know what I mean, mountaintops? This is youth, when I was a youth pastor. This is coming home from youth camp. This is like, whoo-hoo. And then the very next thing is he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the purpose of being tested by Satan himself, by the devil. Now, our Bibles give us, Luke records for us, the Gospels are consistent. There's three tests that, the, that we're told about. But keep this in mind. If you read it, you realize that he was, and here's the, here's the mistake we sometimes make. He was wandering around for 40 days, you know, getting hungry, and then the devil came to him. And what, it takes about five minutes to read those three things, that interchange. And so he was tested for five minutes. And then that's not what Luke is saying. 
Luke is saying for 40 days, this experience that Jesus had, he was led into the wilderness. And my belief is that it was many more tests than just these three. That over the period of those 40 days of not eating and the hunger and the physical weakness, Satan is buffeting him with tests. Well, you say this, how about this? You say you're this, how about this? Do you see that there in your, in your text? In the following verses, we're given three of them, right? Jesus ate nothing during those days, and when they were, I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. When the 40 days were over with no food, Jesus was hungry. Okay. In, in, in my margin here, I wrote Captain Obvious. Thank you, Captain Obvious. You know, 40, I mean, I go eight hours, seven hours, and I'm hungry. For 40 days, he goes without food, and in a serious way, Luke is reminding us of his humanity. He didn't have some special, you know, injection that he got once a week that tied him over or whatever. He was taking some nutrient supplement. No, he was hungry. What the effects of not eating for that amount of time. And that's significant because you and I know this, right? That when you're tired, when you're distracted, when there's things going on in your life, we are more susceptible to giving in to temptation, testing, right? Because we can't separate our humanity, our humanness from our spiritual journey. It's who we are. And what I can't separate is the, me, not like Jesus, but me, a sinful man with a, with a sinful nature, that all plays together, and I'm very vulnerable, the Spirit leads Jesus into a very vulnerable position, a moment, and the door is open. The invitation is given for Satan to come and say, hey, if you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. See, that becomes significant, doesn't it? That temp- what, is, what is that telling? His temptations, he will appeal to Jesus' humanity and to his divinity, to him being God. You read it. He will appeal to his humanness. This idea that you are fully man and you were born. Well, we know it was a virgin birth, Jesus. I know it was miraculous, but you claim to be a man and to take on human form to, to, to represent your creation and to live among them. And you not eating anything, you claim to be hungry. So let me, let me, let's address that. I know you can make that stone into bread. Do it. And then he'll also, as you read through, you'll see he also attacks, tests the truth about Jesus being God. Do you see it? Jesus responds. It's interesting. This is where we tend to kind of really take a lesson from here, and it's a good moment, but it's not the only lesson. What does Jesus do in the moment of testing? He responds with the Word of God, and he'll do it every time. Satan takes him up to the, show him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, The devil says to him, I'll give you their splendor. I'll give you all this authority. I'll give it all to you because it's been given over to me and I can give it to whoever I want. Just worship me and it's all yours. Remember what the apostle John tells us in his letters, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Where are those things rooted back to? They're rooted back to this character, this Satan, this devil, and that's what he's saying. Let me appeal to all of those. I can satisfy all of those things. All you gotta do is worship me. Jesus responds again with the word of God. You see it there? We're not, we're not, we're not free to worship anyone but God. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
So the third one that we're told about, again, I think this is going on for 40 days, but this third one, we're told he takes him to Jerusalem. He has him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he says to him, if you're the son of God, if you are this anointed one, the... now, hold on, does Satan know who Jesus is? Yes, he does. Don't make the mistake of thinking that he doesn't know exactly who Jesus is. Does he know Jesus is his creator? Yes. Does he know that Jesus is his defeater, if that's a word, his, I don't know if that's a word, defeater, the one who defeated him? He knows exactly who Jesus is. So this is not about Satan trying to figure out, this is not a legit, you know the thing, there's no stupid question. This is not one of those, you know, oh, it's just a stupid question. No, he knows exactly who Jesus is, but he's testing him. He's testing, is Jesus going to be true to who Jesus is? In his humanity, his reason for coming, and in his divinity, being God. He's hungry. He's no longer in heaven. He no longer is recognized in his glory. He's no longer seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is missing a lot of what he is normally experiencing. The angels aren't running around serving his needs, obeying his instructions. He says, you know what, Jesus, just throw yourself down. Just jump, is what he's really saying. Just jump. For it's written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. They'll protect you. They, they, they'll support you with their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. We don't have time, but we could explore that Satan is misquoting Scripture here, as he tends to do. And Jesus answers him, and I love this. He says, you know what, and this is kind of like, I'm done. I'm done. This is the end. Because the Word of God says, don't test God. Don't put God to the test. So we're done. Don't, do not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. I think we, I think we have a slide for this. So I'm, I, I think we do, guys. It'll be up there. Who, Jesus, who uh, John says, that slide John says, Herod says. I encourage you to write some of these down. John says, Jesus is our Messiah. Would you agree? I mean, he's banking his whole life on it. Seriously, think about it. He's this weird dude that didn't go to college. You know, he didn't go, he didn't finish high school. He didn't do the normal track. He went out into the wilderness and he made his own clothes and he ate weird food and, you know, did what he did. And then he put all of his, his career was kind of, you know, one-sided. I'm going to be this dude. And you remember how his career ended, right? Yeah, he lost his head over it. Herod ended up chopping his head off. John is saying Jesus is our Messiah. Who does John believe Jesus to be? The Messiah. Herod says, who does Herod believe Jesus to be? And we see it revealed in his actions. He, re he believes Jesus to be a threat. Is it back there or did you know that? Oh, I was impressed. Because I thought, hey, you're, we're thinking the same way, you know? You remember when Matt was teaching on Christmas. There, Christmas is this beautiful story, but there's a horrific angle to that story, isn't there? He says, you come back and tell me when you find the Son this baby that you came to find so that I can worship him too. Now, the, the, the wise men were warned, and so they didn't do that. Do you remember what Herod did? What? He sent soldiers to that area where he believed Jesus to be. Remember, the, the wise men were giving him timing, and so he says, okay, man, I got a beautiful, I got more than one. I got, I'm blessed with beautiful grandkids. But Herod says, any, but any boy that's not two years or younger, I want you to kill him. 
Don't miss that. That's Herod's actions revealing who he believes potentially this baby to be. This baby is a threat to my, my, I'm the king of this area. This so-called king of the Jews, he's a threat. And his actions betray, reveal what he believes to be true. The father in heaven says, this is my son. There's the beautiful display of the Trinity. You see it in this text? The Holy Spirit, the Son of God, Jesus, and God the Father working together in perfect unity to reveal the truth to mankind. This is my son, and I take delight in him. I endorse what's happening. Is that significant? It is significant because when Jesus completes his mission and he dies and he's buried and he rose from the dead, the Father looks at that. We give it, we give it big words, right? Propitiation and substitution and justification and sanctity. We put these big words. In essence, it says the Father looks at that and says, I'm satisfied. This creation that we've made and the rebellion and, and we don't need to, we don't, I don't want us to stay here long, but we have, we have evidence every single day of our sinfulness and how we treat each other and what we're doing as a world, what we're doing in our family, every, every aspect of, of who we are. We see it everywhere, our rebellion against God. And God looks at what Jesus did. The Father looks at that sacrifice and says, I'm satisfied. There's a way for that to be covered. There's a way for sin to be forgiven. There's a way for Kurt Pearson, born in sin, to come to a relationship with his creator, to be loved by his creator, to be forgiven, to walk together in peace. All of my sin, all of my brokenness, all of my words, all of my, re yes, the father says I'm satisfied when he looks at what Jesus did. So when the father says, this is my son, I sent him, we sent him, and I'm delighted in what he's doing, I'm well pleased. Is that Nora? Or Reznor. Okay. I delight in what he's doing. What do we believe to be true about Jesus? The father says he's my son. What did the crowd say? The crowd says Jesus is Joseph's son. Right? Oh, we know who he is. He's this, remember Joseph the carpenter? He makes great furniture. Yeah, Jesus, we know who he is. The devil says Jesus is a fool. He's a fool. He's emptied himself. Paul would tell us in Philippians 2, right? He's emptied himself. Do you see the picture here? This will unfold through the gospel. Jesus empties himself. What does that mean? Does he cease to be God? No, it means I will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I will be filled with the Spirit. I will be led by the Spirit. I'll perform miracles and healings and I'll do everything that the Father has sent me to do. I could do it in my own strength because I'm God. And I lay that aside, I empty myself, and I allow myself to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I will display for creation what it looks like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Satan says, you're a fool. You're a fool. You, you haven't been eating, you're hungry, I, I'll, I'm going to get you. Don't, don't believe that Satan, don't, don't, Satan thinks he has a chance. He's not just, he's not a robot going through the motions because this is what he, no, he thinks he's got a chance. He's going to mess up the plan of God. He thinks that's potential victory for him. If I can get them to reject him and kill their creator, I win. Oh, he rose from the dead. 
The, the, the devil says, Jesus, you're a fool. We know the angels say, Jesus, you're a mystery. That you would go and do this and live and die for those that you created. We could go many places. I want, I want to draw our attention to one place. Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible says this. It says many things, but just hear this. The Bible says that Jesus is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession, to what we believe, what we say we believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tested in every way as we are. I believe that's a reference to this Luke 4. And that's why, don't, don't you say, well, there's only three temptations there. No, there's 40 days of being tempted. So that when I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm tempted, and I struggle with this, and would you help me? He goes, yeah, I understand. I lived in a human body, and I walked on this earth, and through the Spirit, I allowed myself to be tested for 40 days by Him. I was tested in every way, and yet, without sin. Without sin. Therefore, here's the good news. Let's approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time, in our time of need. See, Jesus, and, and this is who he's inviting us to believe that he is. He's fully man, he's fully God, and he's our savior. He is the son of God, he is the great high priest. And remember, the priest represents you before God the Father. And he says, you come to me, I understand you, Matt. I made you, and I understand your testing and your weakness. I understand everything about your life. You come to, to me, and we will go before the Father, and you will find grace, and you'll find mercy to help you in your moment of need. The question is, do we believe this to be true about Jesus? I want to invite our worship team to come. They're going to come and prepare to lead us in a time of response, and as they do, I'm going to ask you to do something. Last week... If you remember, I, there were two challenges that were on my heart. Saturate our lives with the word of God, with the truth of God's word. And then be careful, stop listening. I think I said just stop listening to things that are challenging the nature of God. Let me, let me phrase it this way for you this morning. I want to encourage you to do this. And only you can do this. Here's the question. Who has your ear? Who has your ear? In other words... Who are you listening to? And here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's, it's been very helpful for me. Just take a piece of paper, and, and if you have something now, start it right now. You can finish it this afternoon. You may trigger some things even as we worship this morning. Begin to make a list of who you're listening to. So hopefully, you, well, my Bible. I read my Bible three or four times a week. Okay. Uh, Sunday morning, this dude, you know, up front, a couple of dudes up there, you know, that are teaching us. Oh, at 9 o'clock, I'm in a, in, a, in a class, and I'm listening. Okay. And every morning to work, I'm, right, you with me? And then when I put music on, and when I open up my Kindle or I open my book, I read. And when I'm at work, I have conversations at lunch with. And at night when I turn on the TV, I watch. You with, you with me? It will surprise you. It will surprise you when you have a list of all the voices that you're allowing into your life, who has your ear? And for me, it was like, wait a minute, I didn't even realize I was, I'm letting in who? The question is, who do we believe Jesus to be? And Luke is challenging us to take a journey with him in his gospel. He will provide us the foundation, the truth of who Jesus is. 
so that our faith in Him can be fixed on a solid and firm foundation so that we can know with certainty who Jesus is. But remember this, your actions, your words, your thoughts, just like mine, reveal who I truly believe Jesus to be. Now, we can get all freaked out about that. We can try to fake it. We can try to cover it up. Or we can just learn from that and say, okay, let me take an assessment of what my actions, my words, and my thoughts say that I believe. And I'm encouraging us this morning, the way to get there is to begin with this question, who has my ear? Who am I listening to? And if you add that to the challenge last week, to saturate your life. Let's be people who are characterized by saturating our lives with the truth of God's word. But to do that, I think we have to make this list. And then I don't even need to tell you what's next, do I? Because you already know what you, what's coming next. As, and I, for me too. I began to cross out things and you know what? I didn't even know they were speaking to my, but as I think about my week, I think about my life, I think about my time, there's a long list of voices that are speaking that have my ear, and they love having my ear. Can we do that? I encourage you to do that. This morning is, and, I, and you know I'm a football guy. Man, yesterday was amazing. <laughs> not for, not for, the, for Minnesota residents. And I've said this before, I believe this to be true. The, the halftime, it, my, my bucket list, when I'm on the top of my bucket list is to be in, in the locker room at halftime with Cal, Kyle Shanahan doing his thing, and the guys are all sweaty in there, or whatever. But, you know, just that whole moment. I want to hear what they talk about. I want to hear, and I'll probably be disappointed. But in my mind, at least, that halftime is this. This is our moment to come together and say, okay, who are we? Who is he? And how are we living that out? And so as we move through the moments that are before us, I hope you've listened to God and heard him. Not me, I hope you've heard him. But as we move through the remainder of our time together, this is our time to hear from God and say, okay, God, here I am. Be honest with me. I want to know the truth. Expose me to me. Show me what needs to change. Because when I walk out of this place and I'm interacting with people and I go into the world that you've placed me in, I want my actions, my words and my thoughts to clearly Reveal who I believe you to be. And so as our team leads us this morning, thank you for doing this every week. As they begin to lead us just in these next few moments as the, the songs take place, I can't think of a better place to start. I don't know why I'm grabbing all this stuff, sorry. Amy's looking at like, what are you leaving? This is important, I'll take this. We begin with an invitation to the Lord's table. What a, what, what a beautiful, clear picture of who Jesus is. And I know you, because I know me, you need to be reminded this morning of that picture, as I do. The events and the, 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 the life that I lived this week foggied that up. And I need to be reorient, reoriented to that reality of who Jesus is. He's my Savior he sacrificed his life for me. He did it willingly. He did it as, as a perfect lamb of God. And he died. And he was buried and he rose again. 
And he said, come to the table. If your faith is in me, if I'm your savior, then you come to the table and you remember. Remember what? Remember how deeply you are loved. And that begins our journey of responding this morning.